Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Memorial Day is a time of reflection and often patriotism, but it can be challenging to explain the realities of war to children. Joining us this week by Skype are authors C. Alexander London, Kate Messner, and Lauren Tarshish. They'll tell us how they approach the topic of war for young readers. Alex is a former journalist who has reported from conflict zones and refugee camps. He is also the author of several books for young people, including the Dog Tags and Tides of War series, both of which explore the bonds that soldiers and animals forge in war zones. Kate is a former middle school English teacher and the author of the Ranger in Time and Marty McGuire series. Her new picture book, Rolling Thunder, celebrates the annual Ride for Freedom demonstration in Washington, D.C. And finally, Lauren is the editor of Scholastic StoryWorks and StoryWorks Junior magazines, as well as the author of the best-selling I Survived series. The books take characters and readers on harrowing journeys through such events as the American Revolution and the Civil War. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the program. Great to be here. Hi, it's great to be here with all of you. Hi there. Great to be here, too. Thank you all. I have a question for starters here that I want to send right to Alex. Why did you choose to tackle the subject of war for children? It occurred to me a couple of years ago that for 8 to 12-year-old, what we call you know middle grade readers, the U.S. has had soldiers deployed in combat for their entire lives, and yet there weren't all that many books about it told in an accessible, engaging way. And I'm a big believer that when there's a book you think should exist and doesn't, you have to write it yourself. So I wanted to tell some of these stories in a way that kids could grapple with current wars and and past wars. Sadly, war is a fairly normal part of the human condition. And as novelists, we write about what it is to be human. And I think war, it can bring out and does bring out the worst in us, but it can also bring out the best. And I wanted to explore... Uh, kind of all sides of it, with honesty and clarity. Thank you. Alex, a lot of your uh, stories do focus on current wars, and it was stunning to me this past year with the 15th anniversary of 9-11 that there essentially are no children in elementary school who were alive during those attacks. It's pretty stunning. So you are explaining a whole shift in the culture that adults may take for granted, but that for children, they never knew the the before, as it were. Yeah, that's right. I mean, essentially, the, the war in Afghanistan is, is historical. It, it's history now uh, for, for a lot of these kids. Um, and the reasons behind it happened before they were born, and yet it still goes on. Lauren, what about you? Many of your titles also focus on wars. What drew you to this topic? Well, unlike Alex, that was it was not my intent to ever write about wars in my series. My series, I Survived, really began, um, I had imagined it as really only focusing on natural disasters, primarily natural disasters from, from long ago in history. But um, very shortly after I started writing the series, I began to get a lot of mail from, from children. Um, 
making very clear what topics they wanted me to write about in the series. And right from the outset, they wanted 9-11, they wanted World War II, they wanted the Holocaust. And I'm talking about thousands and thousands of emails from children and requests when I would go on school visits. So for me, my series has very much evolved um, according to the interests of the children reading it. And that's really where I never imagined that I would take that on, but that's really, I've allowed them to take me where I should be going. I see. And what about you, Kate? Well, Rolling Thunder is a picture book. So it's introducing the idea of um, not only war, but veterans and remembrance to a younger audience too. And I think that's important. I mean, as a former educator, I always think about where do we start with our introduction of this this concept even for kids. Um, and to me, the idea of honoring veterans, the idea of remembering um, you know, those who fought for freedom in, in wars past is a good place to start. It's a little bit less scary maybe than some of the things that are going on today or even some of the, the historical wars if we jump right into the battle. So to start with that seems like it makes sense. And um, just to introduce young readers to the idea of, of, you know, this sacrifice that's part of our history. And Kate, you chose a, a, an unusually problematic war. I would say all wars are problematic, but the Vietnam War in particular, where the veterans did not receive perhaps the respect that they, that other veterans may have when they returned home. What was it like focusing on that topic for children? The Vietnam War, there's so much going on there that young readers are going to encounter later. You know, they're going to they're going to pick up Lauren's books and Alex's books later on and read some of the the more intense details of uh, of those wars. But um, for me, as a as a starting point, I think it makes sense to, you know, just introduce young readers to the idea of honoring veterans. Um, and I think Greg Ruth's illustrations in particular in Rolling Thunder do an incredible job with that. Rolling Thunder is the name of a demonstration that happens in Washington, D.C. on Memorial Day weekend every year. And uh, it's an organization that has an enormous motorcycle ride to honor POWs and MIAs. Um, and it, it ends, this, this, this ride ends at the Vietnam Wall. Um, and so my family happened to be there that weekend. I was actually doing research for a completely different book, but my family was in D.C. for Memorial Day weekend and saw these motorcycles riding by and, and just, you know, heard the rumble of these thousands and thousands of motorcycles. Uh, and it, it just was such a powerful moment that it seemed to me immediately that it would be a really interesting way and uh, a compelling way to introduce this idea of remembrance to young readers. Well, that's perfect, especially for Memorial as we approach Memorial Day. Lauren, when you're in classrooms and you're talking to your young readers, what do you find that they're most curious about? What aspects of war in particular? By the time kids are in third grade, you know, they have awareness of all of these historical events. And they're incredibly complicated. As Kate was saying, I think that one of our jobs as authors, especially authors at Scholastic, where we are in classrooms is to be constantly thinking about what our role is in helping kids in their evolving understanding of very complex events. So whereas Kate's Rolling Thunder is this very much, very, you know, this entry point, I see mine as the, an opportunity to tell very complicated stories, many of which have tributaries that are 
quite hideous, horrific, nightmare-inducing, and you know beyond really the comprehension that any of us have. Um, to be able to take those topics that children have a natural curiosity about, they're 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 fascinated, they're curious, they want to know. For me to be able to tell those stories in a siloed, safe way that satisfies their curiosity, gives them a sort of introductory foundation without flinging open too many doors that they are too young to actually go through, if that makes sense. It does. And let me just stay with you for a moment. You know, why should we tell these stories to young people? Why does it matter? I think that, you know, again, Suzanne, what surprised me was it's not that it wasn't that I myself was eager to tell these particular stories. It was that the children wanted to know about these topics in a very almost a ravenous way. They were curious, they've heard about them, and today there are so many more opportunities for a child to have those, you know, if not doors, at least windows of curiosity opened through what they're, you know, the video games they're playing, through the things they see on YouTube, through the documentaries that they see on, you know, the many, many channels that come into their homes. So I think that kids are made aware of events earlier than maybe they used to be made aware of them. They have their curiosity. So my, for me, I, I very much feel that my role is, again, to respond to their curiosity um, in a way that's appropriate to, their, to where they are. Kate, what do you tell parents, for example, who may be wondering just how much information to introduce to young children? Or if you're talking about the Vietnam War, where are the limits or where are the lines drawn? Well, in Rolling Thunder, which again is a picture book, so we're talking about kids as young as four and five years old reading it, um, it, it doesn't get into the Vietnam War itself. The focus in, in this book, in Rolling Thunder, is really on remembering people who served America. Um, and and it, you know the, the fact that we are talking about a war where those veterans didn't uh, get the credit and the honor when they first came home, I think makes that even even more significant and and more important. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, Lauren brings up a great point, and that is, kids are incredibly curious about these many of our, our the darker episodes in America's history. And as as writers, as teachers, as people who care about children, where do we go with that curiosity? Um, I've always been of the mind as an educator and as a writer that ignoring it and saying, oh, you're too young to know about that isn't really the way to go. And so I, I love, you know, the I Survived books in that they, they do provide that, that sort of scaffolding, you know. Um, so we have picture books that, that give a very basic introduction of this concept of, you know, serving one's country and the idea that people do go away and some of them don't come back presented in a, in a really gentle way. And, you know, we go up from there. You know, what were these wars about? And, and there is sort of scaffolding that has to take place. You know, there are ways to talk about World War II, for example, um, that, that tread lightly on the atrocities that happened so that kids have an understanding. But like Lauren said, we haven't completely flung the doors open to, to everything that went on. And I just want to jump in because I think that Rolling Thunder is such a wonderful example of how we can also give honor at, to there are many, many, many children have parents who are serving in the military, um, who are actually actively coping, not just as learners, but as participants in, you know, in our nation's wars through their parents. 
So I think that by, um, I think it's also a book like Kate's, I think, really does build a bridge between um, I, uh, between readers, between the children in a classroom who maybe have no idea of what, you know, what it could possibly like to have a parent serving in a war and those many, many, many thousands of children who are, who are living with that, you know, and are quite aware at the age of four or five that that's where their mother or father is. It's interesting you mentioned that, Lauren. When my editor and I were working on this book, one of the uh, the things that developed along the way is that connection to the, the parents serving right now and the family members serving right now. So we actually added a line that wasn't in the original manuscript uh, as the child is on the train going to Washington, D.C. to meet up with his grandfather, who's going to ride in the demonstration that says, clicking, clacking railroad track. Our trip is for Uncle Zach flying airplanes far away. His picture rides with me today. And so there's that there's that sort of double um you know, double theme where we have, you know, remembrance of wars past, but also this idea that we're keeping the people who are away serving now uh, very much in our thoughts. Yeah. One of the things I've been most proud of uh, with the dog tag series is because they, they have such appeal to these, to, you know, so-called reluctant readers that uh, kids who might not normally engage with these heavy topics, pick them up because they, you know, they read like a video game. And I've gotten a lot of email from kids whose parents are serving, who's who, uh, from their parents, I mean, saying how they were able to use the dog tag series as a way to talk about what their uncle or their father or their mother were actually doing over there. And they've used it as a way with each other to, to talk about what's going on in their family. And it's initiated by the child, not the parent sort of saying, okay, it's time to understand this thing. But the child reads the book and comes with questions and they can engage with it together, whereas they might not have and I'm very proud of that with that series specifically. That is heartening to hear. Alex, your audience is slightly older than Kate's. How do you address the complexities and the scaffolding for that age group? You know, my books are interesting because they're, they're very few young characters. In some of the books, there's none. And, you know, the leads are usually 18 to 20 years old, but they're all animal books. They're military dogs, military dolphins, military sea lions. And so through the, the animals, they can kind of act as a, as a surrogate for the young reader and, and give kind of a point of attachment. But that adds a level of challenge because when you put an animal in danger, you know, it, it can be right. very, very upsetting. Um, and it's a, it's a fine needle to, to thread, basically. Picking the, the right details that will share the, 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 the fear and the excitement and the terror and the horror of, of being in a war um, and the boredom, which is a big part of, of war, picking those details that will also, when things go badly, won't fling these images in their face and give, and give the, the, the child nightmares, um, which I, I do have to be very careful about, uh, especially in the, the Vietnam book I wrote, uh, Strays. That was the hardest one I've ever written. It's an untold story about the dogs in the Vietnam War. None of them came back. We sent a lot of dogs over and none came home. And I had to find a way to create, if not a happy ending, a not absolutely devastating ending for that story that wouldn't leave a child just thinking, oh my God, they murdered all the dogs. Um, and that was, that was a big challenge. It really stretched my uh, limits of my imagination to invent the happier ending in real life that couldn't happen uh, in reality without, uh, without lying to the reader. It's a delicate dance and I don't think there's one right way to do it. I think sometimes pulling back so you're not doing violence in close-up can be a, a helpful way. What responses have you gotten from your young readers about that Vietnam story? 
it's simultaneously the saddest one in the series and the one with the most surprisingly happy ending. So I get a lot of like, I was so worried, but I'm really glad it worked out. And I have an epilogue at the wall at the memorial, which, which gives the kids a sense of like the future that Uh these guys, some of them were okay. And some of them were not, but that the lingering effects were not all negative as much as we, we know the narrative of Vietnam veterans who were reviled when they came home. There were also ones who were celebrated and there were, there were guys who wanted nothing to do with the world, with the war, who came back and got involved in politics and, and dedicated to a life of service. So I wanted to try and touch on, on all those stories and, and kids, under the guise of an action novel, I've been able to put in a lot of these ideas of what does it mean to serve and what duties do we have to each other and to the most vulnerable among us, which in the case of these books are the dogs, but really read quite easily as the children who, around whom we fight all these wars. It's fascinating that you were able to bring that out. Now, Lauren, you do put children smack dab in the middle of your narratives, whether it's the Civil War or the Nazi invasion of Poland. Could you talk about how you shift the lens of history from adults to children, which is not often done? Well, I think that was the original intent of this series was I noticed that there were so many wonderful, wonderful narrative nonfiction books and historical fiction books. But I was looking to fill a a gap kind of in what I thought, you know, when I would go to a bookstore or a library between sort of the magic treehouse and the lightning thief to create very accessible stories for a very particular type of reader. So the idea really was to make these topics extra engaging by showing the events through the eyes of a, of a child like the reader. Even beyond that, as Suzanne, you talked about shifting the lens of history, I think so often the lens of history, especially for American historical wars, I don't know, Alex, about, the, I think Vietnam less so, but certainly Amer- the American Revolution and the combatants in the Civil War were very much white people. One of the things that I did with my Civil War book, which was the first about Gettysburg, was to make the main character an enslaved boy who was running away, one of the most interesting little, kind of not so little, but one of the most interesting chapters of the Civil War or aspects of it was what happened to all the enslaved people while this was this upheaval was taking place. So I chose to make my main character, Thomas, living that reality. And I did the same in the Revolutionary War. I found that even in my own, I had a very limited understanding, as it turns out, of the Revolutionary War. And I found that people of color were a huge part of that war. So it became not only an opportunity to shift the lens and include a child, but to shift the lens and include types of Americans that aren't often featured front and center in these kinds of stories. That has to be a challenge to find these narratives. It's so true that people of color are underrepresented very often in the historical accounts and yet overrepresented in the suffering. And I just wondered, how do you go about in your research? How do you uncover such stories? For the Gettysburg story, there's an enormous record of not only slave narratives, but also scholars who have really uncovered and done a beautiful job of illuminating the experience of of enslaved people and runaways and people who joined the Union Army. So that wasn't as difficult. It was more difficult during the American Revolution because I wanted to show that slavery was just an enormous part of revolutionary America, but I chose not to make the main character an enslaved person. So I wanted to build that into the story in a very meaningful, significant way. It's sort of the the story hinges on that in a lot of ways. And that was actually more difficult because there is much less written about 
slavery during the Revolutionary War era. So I had to do much more, much deeper digging. And I was very fortunate because the New York Historical Society has a lot on this. Once I started digging, I was able to find plenty of information, but it wasn't as readily available as it was when I was researching the Civil War. I actually got very lucky during the research for the World War II book in my series. I had stumbled on an article about a medal being given to a man in his 80s who had been a POW at Auschwitz. And it was a little known story from the war where uh, a lot of Mexican-Americans, Italian-Americans, any POW who like looked ethnic in any way and could maybe be, even be Jewish, when they were caught at the Battle of the Bulge, they were rounded up and sent as POWs to a part of Auschwitz. And I was shocked by that. It was a classified story. They were told when they were liberated not to talk about it. It was kept classified for years and years. And I, as I was writing the book, stumbled on this story and ended up stumbling upon one of the guys who had been through that and was able to interview him in research about this story and what he'd gone through and was able to tell this very specific Mexican-American version of World War II in Europe that, that was not, that I had known nothing about. And so it kind of opened up the primary sources for me in a way that, that just seemed, you know, it was just serendipity that there had been a newspaper article about him at the exact time I sat down to write the book. Speaking not just from Rolling Thunder, but also I write the Ranger in Time chapter book series. And one of those upcoming books is set during World War II. But it's always amazing to me. I mean, we've had so many stories about, you know, these wars, about the American Revolution, the Civil War, about World War II. And yet there are so many stories that haven't been told. If you look at, um, in particular, you know, look at, look at World War II and, and the D-Day invasion. If you look at any movie that shows the D-Day invasion, right down to Saving Private Ryan, the faces coming ashore, every single face is white. And yet that wasn't the case on D-Day. So like, like Laura and I, I try to look for those stories when I'm, when I'm doing research. You know, what's the, what's the piece of this story that hasn't been told yet? And so uh, one of the upcoming Ranger in Time books, our seventh book in this series, will actually feature a main character who's part of the 320th Barrage Balloon Battalion, which was an all-black unit that was among the first to come ashore on D-Day. Just amazing stories that are out there. You know, one of these guys was recommended for the Medal of Honor, but somehow that recommendation got set aside when he got home and he he was never given it. So there, I just feel like even though we've had so many stories about history, as Lauren pointed out, they've been told through this particular lens. And, you know, sometimes that lens is a, is a white lens. Sometimes it's a kind of sugar-coated lens. We see that in a lot of the art about the American Revolution, too. It shows this sort of, oh, glorious and go, go patriots, when the reality of war is something else entirely. And so I, I appreciate the way Lauren and Alex's stories tell those stories with a kind of honesty, even though we're not diving deep into the atrocities, there is a, an honesty there that, that doesn't sugarcoat what this is. Because, you know, these kids reading these stories are the people who are eventually going to be making decisions about whether we go to war. I think that's so true. And I think that there's something we've probably all grappled with. I can imagine some critics objecting to shedding light on the fact that some of these stories are sugarcoated, right? The glorious aspects of these fights. And by showing that George Washington was a slave owner or, you know, showing some of these other aspects of the war that some people might think, well, doesn't that sort of sully this glorious image of, of the heroes of these wars? And I think that's so completely untrue. I think that the history of America, the glorious history of America, the best of America is really 
being willing to look hard and honestly at mistakes or, you know, being able to look and admit that people that we loved and admire did things that if we look at them today are considered actually quite wrong and evil and that we can learn from those mistakes and we can become better and stronger as a result of looking honestly at history. Alex, what commonalities or what themes do you see being repeated in a war, let's say from the Vietnam War to the war in Afghanistan? What are some of the constants besides bloodshed and death? Before I wrote books for young readers, I was a researcher and a journalist in war zones. So I spent a lot of time in East Africa, on the Balkans, in Southeast Asia, in some of these places. And what always struck me is how similar they are. Mostly, it's men in nice clothes deciding that men in less nice clothes should kill each other for various reasons. And there's a simplicity to that. War is actually fairly boring. The way people do violence to bodies, there's not that many ways to do it. But what people do with that and what it brings out of them has infinite varieties. Everybody reacts differently. Some people who seem great turned out to be villainous when when in the crucible of war. And some people who'd never shown much of anything become brave and kind and generous and thoughtful in that same crucible. So it's it's kind of a whether whatever war you're talking about, these extremes bring out a lot in people. Kate, let me go to you. Bringing history to life for kids is a lifelong vocation for you. How did you get started writing for children? Can you tell us a little bit about your background? I taught middle school English for 15 years. And actually, my very first book, which was published by a teeny tiny regional publisher, was a book that I wrote because it was a story that I was looking for for my students. I live on Lake Champlain, and I taught in the city of Plattsburgh, New York, which is just incredibly rich in history, both from the War of 1812, where there was the Battle of Plattsburgh, and in the Revolutionary War. We had um, several just key Revolutionary War battles on Lake Champlain, including one called the Battle of Valcour Island, which happened at a site that I can see out my kitchen window, which always made me interested in it. But also, it's just an amazing story about how the American fleet was engaged with the British in the fall of 1776 in October. And they had this battle, and the season was almost over. And they started the battle, and then night fell. And they knew that they were outgunned and outmatched and ended up hatching this plot to basically sneak away in their boats in the middle of the night. It was foggy. And they ended up sailing very close to the New York shore, single file, and proceeding south down the lake to get away. It was always this amazing story. And I had asked a museum historian where I live, gosh, there's got to be historical fiction about this battle for kids. It's such an interesting story. You know, Benedict Arnold was there back when he was a good guy. And it, it just was fascinating. And, and he said, no, no, you know, there's Kenneth Roberts' Rabble in Arms tackles that, but there are no books for kids. I said, no, there's got to be. You got you to be wrong about this. There must be. I think he was tired of me. He says, there's not. And if you want one so badly, you should probably just write one. He was a, a friend who also knew that I, I wrote. And that was really the spark, was a story that was so interesting. And there was so much there. So my very first published project was actually a, a book telling history for kids. That is great. And I know that you do a lot of school visits. I follow you on social media, and I just love when you're in a classroom or your fans write to you. What is on the minds of kids today? That's obviously a very broad question, but what are some of their larger concerns or anxieties that you've picked up? Kids always have everyday anxieties, like, you know, am I going to fit in? Who am I going to sit with at lunch? Will I be able to open my locker after this is over, you know, this assembly ends? 
But beyond that, I do think they have a lot of anxiety about the way the adults in their worlds are conducting business, you know, on the world stage. And are we going to have a war and, and what's going on? And I think there's a lot of, of reading that happens. I think part of their fascination with historical wars is trying to understand how does this happen and why does this happen? The kids that I speak with are just incredibly, incredibly thoughtful about wanting to find solutions in the world. And part of me really believes that their fascination with war is trying to figure out a way to do better. Huh. Lauren, what about you? I think that's really well put, yeah. Kate said. I think that what's really interesting is that you see this sort of, it's not quite a paradox, but you see on the one hand, the timelessness of an elementary school in, in so many ways. I live in the town where I grew up and my children all went to the schools where I, you know, that I went to the school where the schools that they have attended. And you go there um, and, or I go to a school in Kentucky or Montana or California or New Mexico, and the schools all smell like they did 30 years ago and the kids are jostling for the same, you know, their seats in the lunchroom and those screechy violins emanating from the band rooms. <laughs> so there's a, you know, in so many ways, childhood to me, the schools and, and the experience of children has remained very, you know, very consistent. On the other hand, I agree with Kate that I, I definitely detect a lot of anxiety as Kate was saying. I think that kids are, they're nervous. I think they sense that their teachers are anxious. I think their parents are anxious. And I think that they're on the one hand, reading provides this wonderful escape a way of, of dealing with anxiety. And I'm amazed that many kids who have personally experienced, they've had tornadoes in their towns or they've lived through a hurricane or they have a parent who is overseas, very often reading the experiences of fictional characters who are going through the same types of experiences. What I hear a lot from kids and teachers reading my series is that it provides some comfort. It provides some coping tools. It provides models of resilience. So that's been an unexpected part of my experience as an author is seeing how I very much believe that in big, important and complicated stories, big, important stories about history, making those stories accessible to all kinds of readers is a very important mission. It's certainly a part of what Scholastic does as a whole. And making those kinds of stories available to the kids who need them most, who are often kids who are struggling readers or struggling learners or, or kids who have had trauma. You definitely provide the emotional tools. Alex, you said that you were in war zones. You've reported from war zones. What have you learned from children yourself who have been going through chronically stressful situations and violent environments? I've, I've learned that kids are tough. They can survive and have survived a lot in this world. This world of ours does and has done a lot of brutal things to get to children. But the one thing that they tend not to be able to survive without is a sense of hope, is a sense that their story matters. And it, it's one of the things I love so much about Lauren's book, the I Survived title. It's past tense. I survived. It, it makes it okay. It, it says that these horrible things that have happened in the world, you can survive them. And I think in writing about war, when I wrote nonfiction about war, my first book was called One Day the Soldiers Came, and it was very much trying to tell these kids' stories in their voices that I met around the world, or writing fictional novels about, about the world. Essentially, it's a, a celebration of their capacity to survive and an exploration of what adults can do to ease that burden a little bit. What I learned is that every kid who's been through some hard times 
is the hero of their own story. And they don't always know that. And it's our job as storytellers to to make that as clear as we can, that everyone gets to be a hero. Oh, I love that. So I'd love to know also what each one of you are working on. Alex, let's stay with you, and then we'll go to Kate. I kind of simultaneously got two things going on. The last book in my Talking Animal Fantasy series, The Wild Ones, is about to come out uh, in the fall. And then I'm actually moved into a young adult fantasy. I have a series called Other Bloods coming out from FSG in the fall of 2018 that I am also staring at a giant stack of papers because I have to start revising it. Kate, what about you? What are you working on? The Ranger and Time books come out every six months. So I am basically always working on several Ranger and Time books. (laughs) Um, And right now that means putting the, the finishing touches and fact-checking the illustrations for the seventh book, which is the World War II story, the D-Day story I, I mentioned, called Ranger in Time, D-Day, Battle on the Beach. I just finished work on the eighth book in this series, which is a Hurricane Katrina story set in New Orleans' Lower Ninth Ward. And I'm just starting some research for the ninth book, which is going to be set on the Titanic. And that's one that kids have been asking for, too. So super excited about all of those. Oh my gosh, that sounds great, Kate. And what about you, Lauren? Well, like Kate, my books come out every six months. So at all times, I'm working on a whole bunch of different ideas and manuscripts and research projects. So I just finished The Revolutionary War, which was one of my most daunting undertakings. That was a very challenging and satisfying book to write. I'm just about to start, well, I've just started the research for my next I Survive, the one after Revolutionary War, which will be about the children's blizzard. 1888, which was basically a frozen hurricane that slammed down into Dakota Territory, Nebraska, all these different frontier communities, right at the time of day when children were in their one-room schoolhouses. So that's a story that that I've always wanted to write about, and I survived. Oh, that sounds fascinating. Thank you all so very much for talking with me today. Thanks again to our guests, Lauren, Alex, and Kate. To learn more about their work, check the show notes or go to scholasticreads.com. Is there a topic you'd like us to discuss? We'd love to hear from you. Send a note to scholasticreads at scholastic.com. To help other book lovers find us, Please review and subscribe to Scholastic Reads on your favorite podcast app. Special thanks to producer Emily Morrow, sound engineers Daniel Jordan and Chris Johnson, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads with you next time.